I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts. Only from NPR. Love Letters is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. And auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. I remember when I was in Barcelona, I was riding on one of the double-decker buses and just going through the city. And I was just thinking about a lot of things. And I remember having a conversation with Ramiro and we were talking about like what you think you're naturally good at. And As I was going around, I'm like, you know what? I'm naturally good at being single. From the Boston Globe and PRX, this is Love Letters. I'm Meredith Goldstein. So if you live near me, in Massachusetts, the voice of the woman at the start of this episode might be familiar to you. It's the voice of Pebbles, a morning radio show host whom Boston has woken up to for many years. You know the kind of morning show I'm talking about, right? That team of personalities telling jokes, playing songs, reading pop culture news, doing bits. Pebbles and her co-host, Ramiro, were the voices I heard after I moved to Boston two decades ago and started commuting to work every day. This was long before smartphones or streaming content, of course. Back then, radio was the thing, unless you popped your NSYNC CD into the CD player. Anyway, my commutes were how I got introduced to Pebbles and her crew. Ramiro was the wild one. Pebbles was the voice of reason, I loved her attitude. I thought we should know each other in real life. It took some years before I got to meet Pebbles in person. It took even more years for me to learn that Pebbles was not her actual name. Hi, my name is Susan Sumito, and most people in Boston know me as Pebbles. Tell me about the origin of Pebbles, the name Pebbles. So when I first started in radio, I was an intern at a very small radio station, an AM station, WILD. And they asked me, do you want to go by... Actually, I was given three choices, Pebbles, Gypsy, or Asia. And I ended up going with Pebbles. (laughs) That is not a 2022 thing that would happen. Uh, No, it is not. (laughs) Because my real name, Susan, really isn't a radio name, I guess. And there was an artist out at the time named Pebbles. So I think it was like, oh, okay. 
I'm having a blank on what the Pebbles hit was that I liked. Mercedes Boy. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Do you want to ride in my... And there was, there was confusion. Boy. Yes. <laughs> Tell me what you're gonna do. With me, with me, with me. Yes. <laughs> Mercedes, Mercedes. Mercedes Boy was released in 1987 when I was 10. It left an impression. I did wonder early on if Pebbles might possibly be the same Pebbles who recorded the old hit. That is not me. I cannot sing. You're not picking up royalties from Mercedes Boy. Okay. Absolutely not. All these years later, Ramiro and Pebbles are still on the air. They now work at Hot 96.9, a Boston station known for playing throwback hits like Return of the Mac, Early Destiny's Child, TLC's No Scrubs. It's very good stuff. As a morning host, Susan's day actually begins in the middle of the night. My alarm goes off at 3.30, at 3.40, at 3.50, at 4 o'clock, and 4.10. And at some point, I'm up. I am not a morning person, which a lot of people don't understand, but I am not. And it takes a lot of caffeine to get me going in the morning. Happy. She is the epitome of joy. Mm. I am looking forward to being infused with that <laughs> Lizzo energy because I think I need it. He right said now. infused. I know. I need to be infused. <laughs> well, here's my question for you. I, got I admit that I've made many guesses over the years about Pebbles, I mean, Susan's personal life. It's only natural, right? We let these people into our lives and it feels like we know them. I knew that for as long as I'd been really paying attention, Susan was very single. I like to imagine that she was a lot like me, someone who didn't date much in her 30s. I assumed that, like me, she had never lived with a romantic partner or been married. I assumed a lot of things, and I was very wrong. Susan has had a lot of romantic experiences. They helped her understand her priorities and her own heart. Her story of big change is about a change in attitude. It's about self-awareness. It's about choice. But let's have her start in the BP era, as in before Pebbles, when Susan was just Susan. I grew up in Wareham, Mass., which is a small town. My play yard was like the forest, the trees. I was always outside. I lived with my parents and I had a sister. She was a year younger than I am. My cousins all lived on the same street with me. I went through phases in life where I was outgoing, but I was also, I liked to be by myself a lot too. I never really thought about marriage but I did think about kids. I always would say, oh, I want like 15 kids. I wanted to have a big family. For some reason, it just wasn't hand in hand where it was like, I want to get married and I want to have all of these kids. I just never thought about relationships like that. Her first significant romantic relationship comes in college. I hate when I have to say this because it sounds so corny, but we met, I was a cheerleader at 
Northeastern and he was on the basketball team. I gag every time I say that. <laughs> no, I didn't know you were like cool when all of that was cool. That's really good to know. Susan dates this man for about four years. After graduation, he goes overseas to play basketball. The relationship fizzles, but that's okay. Susan's new focus is her career. She's making a name for herself at the radio station she's working for, WILD. She's starting to find her voice and really liking it. It's no surprise, then, that she meets her next boyfriend at work. We hit it off, like, right away. We became really, really good friends. We talked about everything, and we had fun together. And then we went and ruined it with marriage. Um, I just... <laughs> Keep going. Let's say more about that. You know? <laughs> no, really. I When I think about it, I'm like, why didn't we just stay friends or wait longer? It was kind of... The way that we ended up deciding to get married was... He was talking about he wanted to go do radio in Chicago. And I was like, well, what about us? And he's like, well, you can come with me. And I'm like, well, I'm not going anywhere if you're not, we're not married. And he was like, well, let's get married. And I'm like, this is the worst possible like proposal, I guess, if you want to call it. And then we ended up getting married. And this was after a matter of like three or four months. Of dating. Yes. Yes. And I was 28 at the time, and I was just feeling the pressure from society that, okay, you're 28, do you want to have kids? Do you want, you know, you should be married? And I felt like that was the next step for me. I know a lot of people talk about getting pressure from their families, and I never got any of that. But, you know, the whole say yes to the dress thing. I was driving down the street and saw a used bridal's dress store, walked in and bought the first dress that I tried on. And it was horrible, but I just didn't really care about it. And it should have been a sign. How quickly into the marriage did you know it was not a great idea? Months. The relationship falls apart, pretty amicably. Chicago never happens. The entire relationship, including the divorce, lasts roughly three years. Susan's life outside of the relationship stuff is going much better. She joins a morning show at a Boston hip-hop station. She's in her early 30s and making her name as a radio personality. She starts to date around again. I think that I went through... Maybe I went through a little promiscuous period. Really? Which is fine. And it was nothing that I felt bad about or was embarrassed by. It just, I think that's what I needed at the time. When was the next significant relationship that lasted more than a few dates? Oh, that's when I jumped into a relationship that turned out to be not very good for me. This new guy is charming and funny. She feels seen by him, and they get closer. And because of the good stuff, she doesn't see that he's taking over in the wrong way. He just became very possessive and tried to kind of isolate me from 
family and friends. But I remember going to visit a friend of mine in Maryland during that time, and he was constantly calling me, like every, like, 10, 15 minutes, just calling me, calling me. And yeah, and I think it was after that that I was like, okay, this is, this is wrong. Looking back, I think about it and I'm like, I consider myself a smart woman. How do, you know, people get into situations like this? And it happens so gradually that you don't even realize you're in it until you're really in it. And it took me speaking with my therapist, having my therapist tell me, you need to bring in one of your good friends because I need to talk to them. And and I remember her telling my friend, like, you need to get her out of this situation because he had moved in with me. And my friend and her husband went in there and were like, get out. And when I left my therapist, she's like, drive to your parents' house right from here. Just go. And I did. I haven't really told a whole lot of people the whole story, but I was kind of skeptical about getting into any type of relationship. I think I stopped trusting myself, trusting other people. She steers clear of romance for a long time after that. She has a busy life, doing the morning show with Ramiro at the hip-hop station. She's also super close with her younger sister, who's had a daughter. Susan adores her niece. She also has goddaughters and her parents, and radio events that take her all over. She makes a very full life for herself, outside of romance. She is happy. It's not until years later when she's in her 40s, that Susan meets someone new. When we first started talking, it was on one of the booze cruises that the station had had. Do you remember, like, thinking that he was cute? Or, like, what did, you, like, what did he look like? What I do remember was I was very tipsy, like, leaving the boat. And I was staying at a hotel across the street. So there were a bunch of us and we were going to go hang out in the hotel room. And I remember as I was walking, he just walked up to me and like grabbed my hand to make sure that I was going to be okay. And so he and his friend and a bunch of other of my friends came over and we just like sat and talked and ordered food. And when he got ready to leave, he had asked for my number and I gave it to him and then... We just started dating after that. So you start seeing each other. Yes. And one of the biggest things that I've left out so far is that he was a lot younger than me. He was 15 years younger than I was. And I wasn't trying to get serious or anything. So to me, it wasn't really a big deal. It was like, you know, so what? He likes me. I like him, whatever. And I really wasn't expecting it to turn into anything. Susan and this younger guy enjoy each other's company, and there's no pressure. But then love creeps in, and it starts to feel like something bigger. To the point where I blurted out that I loved him first after a few months, which was, like, really embarrassing. I remember it was at, like, Mohegan Sun at the casino, and we were just sitting there, and I said it to him. Tell me what was going on at that time and how he became a part of the world you had built. He knew my family. He knew friends. But he also, because he was a lot younger than me, 
he still, you know, wanted to go to clubs. I didn't want to go to a club. I didn't want to do a lot of things. So he would go out with his friends and I was home reading a book and doing whatever. And it worked for us. It really did. I trusted him and it felt right. And when we were together, it was great. I will say in the very beginning of the relationship, I think we were dating like seven months. And I remember saying to him, I said, I know this isn't a conversation you have with someone when you've only been dating seven months. But if you think that this is going to turn into something and you are interested in having children, I think that we need to have a conversation about that ASAP. And he was like, okay. And then we just never really addressed it again. Now into her 40s, Susan has made peace with the fact that she won't have children of her own. Partly because she already has this strong relationship with her niece and her goddaughters. So it doesn't feel like a concession as much as a different path. Susan's boyfriend is really good at going along for the ride. One of the things that bonds them more is how her boyfriend is there for Susan as a real partner when her sister gets sick. Susan's sister had had a brain tumor and a surgery when she was younger. In 2008, many years later, she has a seizure and she's sick again. Susan is there for her sister daily. Even though Susan's boyfriend is much younger, he's ready to support Susan fully. When they said that they had done everything that they could do to help, she went into a nursing home. And so every day I was driving from Boston, it was like an hour away to see her because we had no idea how long she was going to live. And I would come back and I would stay at his house with him. And I just don't know how he dealt with that emotionally because it was a lot to put on someone because I felt like I was just constantly crying and emotional and depressed. And it was just very, very heavy. And for someone to, for him to stick with me through that whole period of time, I just never forgot that and never will because I really needed that at the time. How did your relationship change to your niece over this time as well? She was seven at the time. And, oh, that was, I remember when when my sister died, I was on the air and my mother called me and told me, you know, can you come, you know, she's like, come now. And I was like, okay, I didn't even ask any questions. And when I got there, she had already passed. And my niece was there and... Oh, I'll never forget this. So I went in to like say goodbye to my sister and my niece took off two bracelets off of my sister's arm and she gave one to her father, my sister's husband, and she gave one to me. And then we were driving to go pick up flowers for the funeral or whatever. And she's in the back seat of the car and she goes, Auntie, I'm sorry your sister died. And I was like... Oh, I'm like, I'm sorry your mother died. It was just like, and I, you know, I think that I think of things like that because we had been bonded before that, but that I think forever just kind of changed everything where I was like, all right, I need to take care of you. I'm not your mother, but 
I need to take care of you and make sure you're okay. By 2012, Susan and her boyfriend have been together for six years. They've talked about moving in together. She's found the right kind of relationship that fits her needs. And then it all changes quite unexpectedly. All right, let's do the horrible thing and take me through the day of the breakup. Like, what? <laughs> how does it happen? Uh, so the day of the breakup was the day of my, one of my goddaughter's high school graduation. And I was running around setting up for the party and my phone rings and I, and it was him. And I was like, where are you? Cause he was supposed to be on the way. And I don't remember the exact words, but it was just like, we need to break up. And I'm sitting there and I think I might've had like ice or something in my hands. I don't know what the heck was going on, but I was just like, what? I'm speechless now thinking about it because it was so out of the blue. I had no idea that it was coming. And then he said something about wanting to have kids. And I was like, okay, can we talk about this later? I, I, you know, I have this party going on. And I just ended up going straight to his house after the party. How did you even get through that party? Staying busy. Staying busy. Susan is about 48 at this point. Her boyfriend is around 33. And he had not brought up kids again after that first conversation throughout the six years. No, we didn't talk about it. So So you get to his place after, and then what happens? I remember going there, and I remember I didn't want to talk about it, and I just took all of my stuff, and I loaded everything that I had there into the back of my car and I brought it home with me. Wait, you didn't try to, like, negotiate or figure out if this was some weird mood and thing? No, or... I don't think, I I don't remember that. Because I remember, not that he was forcefully adamant, but he, like, this is what he wanted. And I was like, how can I argue with that? Like, you want kids, I'm not able to have kids. So what, I mean, what could I, what could I do or say? So I brought all of the stuff. I put it in my house right by, like in the garage, like right when you walk in the house, I had the pile of stuff there. And I just, I left it there for months. Thus begins a new chapter in Susan's life, a chapter she never counted on writing. She has to get over a devastating breakup and figure out what she truly wants next. This is when she makes a very big decision about her life and her future. That's after the break. Okay, we're back. So it's 2012, and Susan is miserable. She's in post-breakup shock. She and her ex still love each other, but he's realized he really wants kids, and that's just no longer an option. It is a pretty bleak time. I had gone through episodes of depression throughout my life, but this was this was very, very different. I wasn't able to eat, which never happened to me ever before. I mean, I might have like 
a couple bites of a sandwich and that that was it. And I remember at the time I was going to Weight Watchers and I remember one day I, I showed up and in one week I had lost like 10 pounds and they were like, ooh, congratulations. And I'm sitting here like, yeah, I don't think you're supposed to lose 10 pounds in one week. Like that's that's a problem. I look at those pictures and I'm like, wow, I was in a really bad place then. There were times I would go to work and I would drive to work, not even knowing how I got there. I would get to work, go in, do the show. I don't even remember the shows at the time. And then I would immediately leave. And the second I got in my car, I was crying all the way home. It was, it was really, really hard. Why do you think this breakup hit you the way it did? Was it the loss of the person? Was it the place you were in life? As more time passes, and even just recently, I'm like, my reaction to it was not about him. It was about me. The way that I expected my life to be, it was not going to happen. I thought that we were going to end up being together and staying together. It's around this time that Susan gets dropped from the big station she's working for. Another thing to grieve. But pretty quickly, like within a month, Susan gets hired by a brand new station, Hot 96.9. They want her to anchor their morning drive. It is a big deal and a lot of responsibility. I had to go around with the sales manager to meet all of the sales agencies. And at that point, I was kind of, I had to like kind of not get over it, but I had to push through whatever I was going through. And I think that it helped temporarily. By the way, I saw Susan around this time. I actually interviewed her for a story because her new show was doing so well. I remember thinking, wow, she is amazing and her life is fantastic. She is such a star. What I didn't know was that she was just trying to get through every day. A good reminder that sometimes we have no idea what someone else is dealing with. Quietly, privately, Susan is figuring out her personal breakup recovery plan, which, as many of us know, can involve new rituals. One of those new rituals I totally relate to. Let's call it her felicity period. I kept trying to find things to make me feel better. And besides therapy, <laughs> my other form of therapy was I had bought a treadmill. So every day I would get on the treadmill and for hours, I wasn't going very fast, but for hours I would just walk on this treadmill and I had tissue paper and I would, you know, sit there and cry and I would watch episodes of Felicity. And it was... <laughs> It was the greatest. Felicity helped get me through my breakup. Was it Felicity or was it Scott Speedman in particular or was it all of the above? <laughs> no, I like Scott Foley. Oh, okay. That's yes. we're have to have a whole separate conversation about that. So how long was that sort of really terrible phase of like, when did it start to get better? 
honestly, it took years. It really did. I mean, that hard, hard, hard part, I think it lasted at least a year. And it got a little easier. Like, I felt like I was able to function. But at that time, I still felt like I was in love with him and wanted to get back together. It doesn't help that Susan and her ex are still talking on occasion, still finding reasons to see each other. That delays her progress. But over time, she starts to focus on how and when she's been happiest in her life. That's when she notices something important about herself. I have never had a problem when I had periods of time when I was single. I wasn't like, oh my God, I have to get into the next relationship. I don't think it was until, it may be another COVID thing where I just said to myself, it's when I felt like I was completely over the relationship and I like what I'm doing now. I choose this life for myself and I want to be single. I enjoy my own company. I enjoy the freedom to go with my friends whenever I want to. I take solo vacations, which I prefer. (laughs) I love going places by myself. I'm not a very adventurous person when it comes to like, oh, let's go zip lining or jump out of a plane. Mine is, you know, I went to like Amsterdam and Hong Kong and Barcelona. I went to like places by myself. And I loved it. She'd actually started feeling like this before the pandemic, like on her trip to Barcelona in 2018. She could see that this is what she wants. No more dating, no more heartbreak. To adopt singleness as a way of life. Externally, this might not look very different. Inside, it's a pretty big change. I know this sounds strange, but I think I like myself better when I'm single than when I'm in a relationship. I'm a giver, and I think I give too much. Even one of my my first boyfriend from college, he had said to me, because we're, we're still good friends, and he had said to me, you know, you're such a good person and you give so much. He's like, you have to find someone who will appreciate that and not take advantage of it. The thing about making a conscious choice to be single is that it makes a lot of people uncomfortable. People aren't inclined to believe that you really do want to remain uncoupled. So much of the human narrative is about finding and keeping love. I mean, this very podcast dwells on dating and relationships most of the time. With Susan, others can be so quick to try to talk her out of this choice— or to rattle off platitudes like, never say never. Sometimes it's difficult for people to accept that she knows what she's doing. I was pleased to hear that Ramiro, Susan's on-air partner, understands this. People always want to set me up with someone. And (laughs) Ramiro, when I first met his wife, and she's great. I love her, Nicole. And we were all out to dinner. And, you know, she's she's like, oh, honey, we she's so nice. We need to find someone for her. And he looked at her and he was like, nope. He just shook his head. And she was like, no, really? Like, she's great. We have to know someone great. And he's like, nope, you don't want to do it. 
lot of people feel like they're missing out when they're not in a romantic relationship. But you never get everything. So you're always missing out on something, whether you're single or coupled. When I thought about Susan's story, it occurred to me that there's this big double standard when it comes to intentionally single people. Like we would never tell a happily coupled person, look, you never know, you might love being single, never say never. Susan acknowledges that sure, she can't say with certainty what the future will bring, but she's pretty clear that being in another relationship, it's just not what she wants. At some point over the last few years, I noticed that Susan was posting pictures and messages on social media about what she was doing by herself or with her community as an uncoupled person. She would hashtag it, heart and solo. She was letting us all know that her single life was not a backup plan. It was the plan. You really began talking to your audience a little bit more about this concept of being solo and doing things on your own and and letting people know when you did and so they could see themselves in that. I think that people need to know that it's a valid choice to be single. I think about like 20-something-year-old me and how I felt like I needed to get married because this was what I was supposed to do. I don't want young people to feel like that's the only way. The world's not going to end if you don't have a partner. Why do you think people are so uncomfortable with the idea that this is a choice and you can choose to just not if you want to. Why does that like ruffle people's feathers? I wish I knew why they felt like that. And being a single person, and I know other single people have felt this way, you feel like you're left out if people are coupled up or you don't get invited to something because it's only going to be couples. And uh, I remember, you know, one of my friends was dating someone and I used to go out, you know, I used to say, oh, I'm going three wheeling. I'm going to, you know, I'm going on their date with them. And I don't understand why people think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, most of my social activities in my life has been as a third or fifth wheel. And I never thought of it as a third or fifth. Wheel. You know, it's like <laughs> these people are your friends. I mean, I can't imagine excluding single people from a dinner. Like, uh, why would I mm -hmm. exclude them from a dinner? And even going to weddings, there was a point where if I was at a wedding and they were throwing a bouquet, that's when I was like headed to the bathroom because I didn't want anyone. Oh, come on. You're all the single ladies on the floor. Oh, God, I hate it. I've avoided so a lot of bouquets in my life, and I'm so glad that that's your instinct, too. Susan's current life is very full. Her niece came to live with her during COVID, and that was an experience that brought them closer. Susan and Ramiro, along with another co-host, Melissa, are on air every weekday morning. Oh, and Susan still loves romance, by the way. In fact, one of the things we first bonded over was fanning out over the Twilight movies. She and I both love romantic books and stories. If you ask her listeners, love is a huge part of her brand. All the books, all the Hallmark Channel. Now I'm into K-dramas. That's all I watch. And I, I just love love stories. And I love watching people fall in love. You know, even the parts where they're going through things and then they get back together and then they live happily ever after. My romance stories have to end with a happy ending. I can't deal with stories that 
don't have a bow tied on the end. But I think that I also know that that's not real life. And it's just something that entertains me. This makes total sense to me, by the way. I mean, I love spy movies, but I don't want to do spying myself. I don't see many spies who get to wear sweatpants. Like, I I see a lot of good relationships in my life. I mean, my parents, you know, before my father passed in March, my parents were married 65 years. So I've been around good relationships, the good and the bad and all of that. And I watch Romero and his wife. I watch the things that they go through and the way that they communicate. And I think that it's, it's really beautiful. But I also know that it's a lot of work. And that's not where I want to put my energy. Every once in a while, someone will send me a DM. Very nice. Like, I would love to take you out. I would love to get to know you better. And I, I just... I'm like, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. And I'm very flattered, but I am not interested in dating. Do you have any plans in the future that for solo travel? Yes. Because I've been obsessed with K-dramas, I definitely want to go to uh, South Korea. And I'm still working on when I'm going to go because I really want to learn the language before I go. So I'm working on that now. I really would like to go for at least like 10 days or so to like really get in there. That's exciting for me. That is way more exciting to me than walking down an aisle or being in a relationship. Thank you so much for coming on and telling your story. Thank you for having me. Really, I wouldn't trust my story with anybody else. Love Letters is a production of the Boston Globe and PRX. Today's episode was produced by Caitlin Harrop, Jesse Remedios, and Scott Hellman. Ned Porter does our audio mixing, sound design, and mastering. Devin Smith and Maddie Mortel do our audience engagement. Love Letters illustrations by Ashanti Davis. Check them out on the Love Letters Instagram. Special thanks to Brian McGrory and Linda Henry. Our music is from APM. And if you like the show, please follow us on Apple Podcasts. You can always send us a letter, we are an advice column, to loveletters at boston.com. We're online at loveletters.show. So you were Scott Speedman, I was Scott Foley. I'll take any Scott. I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pick a Scott. I'll take any Scott, but yeah, probably probably Speedman. I'm Meredith Goldstein. Thanks for listening.